You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. So glad everyone's here. It's, uh, man, it's just so fun seeing so many people here. Um, I do want to thank you for coming. And, um, and I want to I kind of intro the series and, uh, and just kind of explain because we do have so many visitors. I do want to go back and kind of review where we've been uh, because it's going to make sense on where we're ending. So, but before we get into everything, I do just want to take time uh, to kind of pray. Um, just like Ovi said, just, just ask God that he softens our hearts. He, he opens our minds to the things that he has to say. Um, so let's take time and, uh, and just pray. Uh, dear God, I just ask that you, uh, you please be with us. And not just me as, as, I'm, as I'm communicating your word, but, but all of us. Be with all of us. Just soften our hearts to the words that you have. Strengthen our, our spirits for the times ahead. Times are uncertain as they, as they always have been, but, um, but you are certain. Yes. You never change. We can always rely on you, and we know that our salvation is sure. Yeah. I ask that you just keep us focused on you. And focused on the gospel. And focused on our task of sharing that gospel and participating in the redemptive work that you have given us. I thank you again for just this opportunity for us to get together. And, uh, and just do church with each other. And even just participate in baptism together. Man, what a gift. I just thank you. Keep us focused. And keep us open. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So as, uh, as OV was... Uh, already introing, we have been in a series. That series has been called Truth or Trend. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at major worldviews that our culture is perpetuating at this moment in time. And uh, and we've been looking at them juxtaposed to the gospel, juxtaposed to the scriptures, right? And uh, and we'll get into the intention of that a little bit later. Um, But like I said, I just want to take a moment and kind of go back and review where we've been so that you know where we're ending. So this, uh, this started with, uh, with Flo. Flo actually started us off, and, uh, and he just did a quick shot across the bow uh, among, um, about all the major uh, issues that we, are, we were going to discuss. Um, so it was a massive topic. It was a massive uh, a project for him to uh, discuss all these issues in, in one sermon and give a quick blurb on how it's not uh, compatible with the gospel. Uh, so in one sermon, Flo was able to talk about uh, social justice, uh, the, the issue of social justice. Uh, and then he also talked about critical race theory. Uh, and then he also talked about gender fluidity slash the LGBTQIA plus uh, agenda. So, sorry, it, it, it takes me a while to catch up to that. Um, so, uh, Flo was able to kind of prep all of that and then just prep how, how these stand in opposition to the gospel uh, and prepared us uh, for the task ahead. And then we, we kind of uh, laser focused in on each one of those. So the first sermon was uh, Ovi. He talked to us about uh, social justice. 
Uh, and in that, in that sermon, he was able to look at social justice, specifically critical social justice, uh, and how that is uh, in opposition to the gospel. And how biblical justice is rooted in the scriptures, it's rooted in Christ, whereas critical social justice is rooted and it is based on Marx and Engels' theory of uh, conflict theory. Right? Conflict theory is just a simple theory that all of society is made up of conflict between classes. Right? And if we want to solve the things that ail us in our, um, in our society, then we must embrace that conflict and resolve the, uh, the oppression that's coming from the oppressor. So you see how that, that stands in stark contrast to the gospel. Our sin problem, our social problem, does not come from classes. It comes from you. It comes from me. It comes from our sin. And so critical social justice stands in marked contrast to the gospel of biblical justice. So we talked about that at length. I don't want to re-preach that sermon. So then uh, um, Raz came and he gave us a word on uh, critical race theory. Critical race theory, uh, when you actually look into it, uh, it, it doesn't take long for you to recognize uh, that it, it obviously stands against um, any kind of biblical idea of justification. So critical race theory posits that your perspective is inevitably based on your, um, your upbringing. And your upbringing is inevitably based on your situation, uh, namely your skin color, right? So your, your presuppositions are based on your skin color, but your presuppositions uh, inform your actions. So based on your skin color alone, you will act in a certain way, and if you do act in said way, you are guilty of crimes. Namely, your guilt comes from your skin, not from your sin. I didn't mean that to be cute, but <laughs> as it came out, I was like, okay, so yes, your, your guilt does not come from your skin color. It comes from our opposition to God. That is in opposition to the gospel. Those two things cannot coincide. Critical race theory has no fellowship with the gospel of Christ. And then last week, Ovi, uh, he was talking to us about uh, gender fluidity uh, and the whole LGBTQ, we'll just stop it, LGBTQ uh, community and their agenda in normalizing homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, that's, that's where we've been. Ovi talked to us about how there is a creative order, right? And God established things in a very specific way. And in order for that uh, message to coincide with the gospel, you would have to somehow resolve that God either isn't sovereign in creating you, and he didn't create you necessarily correctly, so there are obvious theological problems there. Or God has somehow changed his mind on those issues where he did care about them at one point, but now he has changed his mind uh, and moved forward. So these have obvious uh, implications, theological implications of how these things are, are, are in opposition uh, to the gospel. So uh, that's, that's where we've been. And now where we are today is this concept of woke theology. So woke theology is, uh, uh, is something that, that is a bit nebulous uh, in that um, critical race theory, uh, social justice, 
um, the LGBTQ movement. Uh, these are, these are well-documented cases. Uh, critical race theory is argued in academia. You can find academic papers. You can look at them. You can refute points, so on and so forth. Uh, you can look at uh, organizations like Black Lives Matter, and they say, we, we embrace social justice. And you can read, yes, we are practiced Marxists. Okay, we know that. There are tenets to this movement, right? We can defend these points. LGBTQ, there are, there are websites and documents that say, this, this is what we believe. We can defend these points, but wokeness, there is no woke organization, right? I mean, there are woke organizations. Right? I'm sure we've all heard uh, Coke went woke, right? Yeah. However, there, there are no tenets to actually uh, fight against. Now, whether that's intentional or not, uh, it is convenient in that it allows, uh, it allows um, people to kind of fit things into this woke basket, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, before we move on uh, too much, I, I do just want to kind of share uh, Summit's heart in this uh, sermon series. Because as you can tell, um, <laughs> it's been a little controversial. Just a smidge, right? So we're, we're, hitting, we're hitting all of the hot spots. And, uh, and we're, we're unapologetic about it. And I want to share Summit's heart on why we're doing this, because in the past there have been churches that just pick fights to pick fights, yeah, right? That's true. Um, it, I, I don't know if anyone is familiar with a, with a church. It's known as Westboro Baptist Church. Um, there are churches like that that just pick fights, yeah, right? And so uh, what I, I want to make sure is, is very clear is Summit Church is not looking to pick a fight. We're not looking to cause controversy. We're not looking to, uh, to enrage people. We're simply looking to hold these worldviews that are being offered to the church up against the gospel and ask, are they compatible? Let, let's be honest about this, yeah. right? Do they fit? Because historically, there has been instances in which the church has shirked responsibility and has to repent and step back into those roles that they have, uh, they have left unattended. That has happened in history. And so it, it's the mark of a good church to step into that and say, hey, have we shirked responsibility? Have we missed something here? Let's be honest about this, right? And that's what we've been doing through this sermon series is we've been honestly evaluating, hey, have we missed something here? And in our evaluation of the text and the gospel of Christ, we're finding, no, 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 these are just incompatible. So... That's, uh, that's our intention, that's, that's our drive, and also I want to make it very clear that Summit Church loves people. Yeah. We love people. That doesn't mean that we need to accept the worldviews of culture. Summit Church seeks to shine light in the darkness, or shine Christ on the culture, not allow culture to shine light on our gospel. And that necessarily does get offensive. Are we picking a fight? No. Are we offensive? Absolutely. That offense does not come from anything motivated within us, but it comes from Christ. Uh, and that's the first passage that I want us to look at. So this is Matthew 10. And these are the words of Christ. Uh, he's sending the disciples out to go do work. And, uh, and he tells them, this is kind of in the middle of a, uh, uh, of a sermon to them. But he tells them, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. Let's stop there. Really? We, we often think about Jesus being the meek and mild, peace-loving Jesus. But then it gets all fiery uh, when he's talking to religious leaders, right? 
Uh, and people often think, okay, that gives me permission to, uh, to yell at Christians, right? Uh, but we just love everyone else and accept their, uh, their perspective, right? This, this seems to disagree. Jesus disagrees with that concept, and that creates problems. But I, I think this is important is because Jesus, he's, he's willing to offend you to save you, right? So let's keep reading. Uh, I do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword or conflict. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses it for my sake will find it. And whoever receives me, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is, this is markedly true that if we are going to follow Christ, if we're going to hold this gospel uh, juxtaposed to everything else, and if we're going to stand firm on this and everything else falls to the wayside, we must accept the fact that that gospel is going to offend people. And that shouldn't surprise us when we start looking at people and saying, you're broken and you need saving. That's offensive. But we shouldn't be ashamed of that. And that's where Summit Church is landing, is we, we never mean to, uh, to create or be combative or create conflict. However, conflict is a necessary part of preaching this gospel of Christ. Amen. So I, I just want to make sure that that's, that's very clear to everybody. Summit Church loves people. We love them too much to not offend them. Right? right? So, like I said, I just I, I want to make that very very clear uh, in that we we are not um, we're not trying to cause conflict. However, uh, one of our core tenets is that we hold the Bible as our authority. Right? Christ is our greatest treasure, but the Scriptures are our greatest authority. Well, we talked about last week how how God reveals Himself through special revelation, and that special revelation is the Scriptures. Uh, Summit Church is also unapologetic on our views of biblical inerrancy and inspiration. Okay? We believe that this is the word of God. How does sinful, finite man know anything about an infinite uh, and holy God? We don't. That's, that's the answer. We don't get to know anything about that guy unless he tells us about himself. Right? And that's where we look at the scriptures. So again, how do we know more about our gospel? How do we know more about our Christ? Through the scriptures, not culture. And this, this, is, this is the crux of, of why we're, we're doing this and why we're not talking about other issues, right? Why we're not talking about how, it, well, how is Islam compatible to, uh, to the gospel or how is Hinduism? We can talk about that. We, and I'm sure it's going to be covered at some point in time. I'm sure. However, what's, what's hot right now, what's important right now are these issues. And churches are being fed this information and they're buying it wholesale and that seems, to buy, that seems to create these vacuums that pull other churches in. It pulls other believers in. And Ovi, and Ovi has been, he wants to stake Summit Church solidly within the word of God and the gospel of Christ. That's why we're doing this. 
right? We're talking about these issues because we want to make sure that we stay within the boundaries of gospel of Christ and nothing else. None of this Jesus plus gospels. Uh, we actually just got done with a series before this, and it was a series in 1 John, and that's the next passage I want us to take a look at. And uh, John is, uh, is exhorting the Ephesian church, and he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Easy peasy, right? If that spirit, if that worldview affirms Jesus Christ coming bodily and dying for our sins, we know that we have a candidate, right? Let's look at it. But these other worldviews, they, they cannot affirm that. And so, the, and so back, back to wokeness, right? Let's, let's define wokeness in a way that, that actually is helpful. And wokeness in just communicating with other people and our understanding is just simply this concept of being awake to injustices, right? Now this, uh, this is subversive uh, because any injustice fits in this box called wokeness, right? We could, uh, we could just uh, contrive um, injustices. Maybe justices are real, right? Is racial injustice real? Yep. Right? There, there are injustices, right? There are also injustices uh, for, uh, for people that get, uh, get their businesses robbed. That's injustice. Does that fit in the woke box? Supposedly, right? By, by definition, it does. What about, uh, what about fat injustice? Because now people have thin privilege. Does that fit in the box? Sure. What about environmental justices? Because we have committed crimes against the environment and now we must pay uh, reparations to the environment. Does that fit in the woke box? Sure. Do you see how, how this, this, this gets a little bit insidious because now you don't have to actually have arguments. You just say, well, you don't see the injustice. You're just not awake to it. You just don't recognize it. Problem solved. I win the debate. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that, right? Like, we, we have to actually validate these injustices, but wokeness allows us to just skip over that. It's this neat little box that everything fits in. And what has happened to the church is there are these things, uh, kind of like woke theologies, where the, it's, it's, like, it's almost as if the world has packaged all of these injustices into this box of wokeness, and then slid it through the door of these woke theologies, and the church said, oh, it says justice on it, and just picked it up and ran. Right? They never unpacked it. They never looked at the contents. They never evaluated it. They never held it up against the gospel. Right? And all these churches are just running with wokeness without ever considering what they actually have in their hands. So this, 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 is, uh, this is why today we looked at everything and we looked at how, how critical race and social justice and gender uh, fluidity, uh, we looked at how uh, it juxtaposed the scriptures and it's obvious that they don't fit. Right? However, today I want us to tell, how did they get here in the first place? Who gave us that box? And what door did they put it through? That's what I want us to talk about today. So, this conversation does get a little theological. Uh, and we're going to throw three theological terms at you. And if you never remember these theological terms again, uh, that's perfectly fine. Because their implication is important. Okay? That's what we're going to kind of uh, nail on. So, 
these, uh, there, are, there are three of these woke theologies. Um, and, uh, and again, if you've never heard them before, uh, that's fine. I promise you, you have interacted with them. Okay? Uh, so that's open theism, reader response interpretation or hermeneutics, and Pelagianism. So if you don't know what hermeneutics is, hermeneutics is just simply uh, interpreting the scriptures. That's it. So, um, so reader response, hermeneutics, or, her, uh, or interpretation, uh, and Pelagianism. So, uh, again, if you have never heard any of these terms, uh, that's fine. I'm going to explain how they have crept into the church um, and what the church needs to look out for. Again, we're discerning spirits, just like John said. Just discern if this fits. And these don't fit, and I want to explain why, but I want to explain how it's so easy to accept this. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, uh, if you, as you're going through these, uh, and you hear these, and you're just like, oh, I, I do that all the time, like, am I a heretic? Don't worry. Look, I, I've, I've believed in all of these at some point, right? We, we all have, have accepted just bits of this, right? So be patient with yourself, uh, and just be aware as you move forward. Okay? All right. So, open theism. Open theism is this concept that God knows all things. I think we're all on the same page so far. Omniscience, God knows all things. However, the open theist claims, well, God knows all things, but he can't know non-things. Okay, so that's confusing, so let me back up. Uh, imagine I open a Word document on this computer, and I just slap the screen, and a whole bunch of letters pop up, right? Those letters don't mean anything. It, ha it bears no meaning. It's just a sequence of letters, right? Uh, and so the open theist would say, does God know what that means? And the answer is, well, no, it's not a thing. It's just a sequence of unintelligible letters, right? So God knows non, he can't know non-things because they're not things. And so what's not a thing? The future. The future hasn't actually actuated. There is no future because it hasn't happened yet. So therefore, God does not know the future because it's not a thing. Does that make sense? So the, the, the theological implications of this are massive. Where God, they say, God, yes, he's sovereign and he knows how you're going to act and he directs history. However, he watches history unfold just like you and me. Okay. Now, if someone told you that, it would be pretty easy to say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not on board. Not on board with you. Uh, God knows the future. Uh, all that. However, there, there are bits of this that slip in. Namely, when people start saying, well, God has changed his mind. And how else could he have changed his mind unless he doesn't know the future but directs history instead? Right? And I, I'm sure uh, you guys have heard this argument. Uh, well, you don't eat shellfish anymore. God changed his mind. How do you know that he hasn't changed his mind on homosexuality? God has changed his mind on slavery uh, because he allowed the Israelites to own slaves. How do you know that he hasn't changed his mind on premarital sex or pornography? You, you, you guys see how this is, it, this is insidious and these questions kind of creep in where it's like, oh yeah, God, God does change his mind. So, so yeah, maybe he has changed his mind on these other issues. And then we start, we start getting these boxes in through this open theism uh, door, right? It just starts creeping into the church. Let me make this very clear. God does not change. He does not change. And he absolutely is sovereign over the future. 
He knows the future, and to him, because he exists outside of time, and all of time happens in one eternal moment uh, before him, it's, it's as, as if he has already redeemed us, and Adam is sinning at the same eternal moment, all before God. All of history, all of time is laid bare before him, and he knows and sees and controls it all. Open theism cannot be a intelligible position. And yet, we, we get these, these ideas of, well, God has changed his mind. No, 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 we just don't understand our theology of Christ-fulfilling law, right? Now, if you don't understand that dynamic, that is, that is a long story. Talk to somebody, right? Uh, all, each one of these points could have whole dissertations written about them. Um, we just don't have time. But if you need help reconciling, talk to someone. I'd be glad to help you. So, uh, uh, open theism creeps into the church in, in, in insidious ways, um, and, uh, and with it comes these, uh, these, these interpretations of, well, God changed his mind, so maybe he's changed his mind about X. But morally obligatory things do not change because God does not change. Uh, let's look at Malachi 3. So Malachi is, uh, is dealing with Israel, and he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, the sons of Jacob have not come to an end. I don't change, and that's to your benefit. If I did, you would have been gone a long time ago, right? It is to your benefit that I do not change. It is to your benefit that I remain graceful and don't decide to just judge everyone now. It is to all of our benefit that God does not change. And that's what he's talking about, uh, is the sons of Jacob have not come to an end because I don't change. For the days of your father, uh, you have turned away from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. But you say, how shall we return? So Israel, what, what God is giving to Israel is, I do not change. The problem is not me not changing. The problem is you won't change either. You have been in sin, and you refuse to change and come back to me. And this is the crux of almost every sin, is we start redefining God, and oh, well, maybe God is not all omniscient, or maybe he's not all-powerful, uh, all or, or, or all-good, right? Maybe, the, maybe there's, a, there's flex there, and we try to change God, but in the reality, the problem is us. And the fix is not changing God, but the fix is changing us, changing our hearts. It's us repenting of sin and getting back to God. Yeah. It's our change that fixes injustices. Yeah. It's almost as if, if you're really concerned about injustice, you should change your heart toward God. Yeah. Seems like a novel concept, right? So, uh, God does not change. Open theism creeps into the church, but let's just all make, make, make it abundantly clear. God does not change. He cannot change. The next theology that I want to get into is reader response interpretation or hermeneutic. So, uh, reader response hermeneutic, again, if you've never heard of it, that's fine. I know that you've, you've heard this. So reader response hermeneutics or interpretation uh, is just simply this idea of, well, what does the text mean to you? Right? Uh, you can read the text and uh, just be like, oh, wow, like that, that means a lot to me. So uh, this, uh, this is helpful because that's absolutely true. We do read the text, right? Um, and we do take messages and apply it to our lives. There is application, right? However, 
What's important to note is that there is structure involved that allows us to make sure that we don't start reading ourselves into the text. Uh, I, uh, I, I have this hermeneutic book, and uh, the guy that wrote the book put this illustration in there that has always stuck with me. Uh, and, uh, and so he went up on stage and preached a sermon at his church. Uh, after the sermon, a little lady came up, and uh, she said, Pastor, I was reading the scriptures, I think it was like 1 Samuel or something, and, uh, and she says, God told me that my husband needs to find a new hobby. And he said, well, tell me more about that, because I need to know how that works. And she said, well, in 1 Samuel, it says, uh, God told Dan to expand his borders. <laughs> So obviously God is speaking to the tribe of Dan and that they must expand their physical borders. However, she interpreted that text as saying, my husband just sits on the couch and watches TV all day, and I hate that. And God is telling Dan to expand his horizons and go find a hobby. <laughs> so this, this interpretation, so this woman unknowingly has accepted reader response interpretation because what reader response interpretation says is that uh, God speaks to you through how you read the text. It's almost as if your interpretation of the text is what's inspired and not the text itself. So, this, uh, the, that, that's a funny story, right? And, uh, and that can lead to a lot of different ways, but how does that actually lead to uh, kind of woke, how is this a woke theology? How do things creep in here? Uh, there was a... Um, there was a Latin theologian, uh, recently actually, uh, he just wrote this paper uh, and actually kind of presented it in a, um, in a theological seminar. That shocked a lot of people uh, because his interpretive method, he introduced the concept of a woke hermeneutic. And he said oppressed people groups or oppressed minorities read the Bible in a different way. And so therefore their interpretation is different because their worldview is different, right? You see CRT in there? And so he read the passage where Abraham was at the border of Egypt and he was scared that he was going to be killed because his wife was so attractive. And so when he walked in, he lied to everyone and told them that's his wife and that his wife was actually uh, recruited into Pharaoh's harem because she was so attractive. And the implication, the interpretation from, uh, from a Mexican perspective is that it is morally acceptable for you to do anything by any means to ensure your safety as you cross the border. This is a real theological position that has been offered in academia just recently. And this has been introduced through reader response hermeneutics or interpretation, right? This man advocated, he actually advocated that it is morally acceptable to pimp out your wife just like Abraham did in order to ensure your safety as you cross the American-Mexican border. This is dangerous. And so these theologies creep into the church, uh, but the implications are massive. We need to be careful. So this is why I want us to get into 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom and leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that a man or woman may be fully capable and equipped for every work. 
inspiration, God inspires the sacred writings, the writings, right? God inspires the individual that wrote the text. God inspires the text. He didn't inspire your interpretation of it. It is our job to find out what the text means. Does that influence our, does that change who we are? Absolutely, right? But this text didn't tell Dan to get a hobby, right? Now, is that a, is that, is that a good implication? Yeah, if he watches TV too much, right? He should be out, like, doing stuff, or better yet, evangelizing, right? But there, there, there are trickle-down effects to those meanings, right? Also, this is not to say that everyone should have the exact same interpretation of every single passage. There are so many facets to the scripture, and again, we could go on and on and on about this, but if you need help interpreting the scriptures accurately, come to D groups. We help you in that. That's all we do. Like, we'll we'll help you think through this. Just come and let let us help you. It it is complicated, I'm I'm not gonna lie. But come to D groups, We'll, we'll help you with interpretation. And if you, if you believe, if you've accidentally believed in reader-response interpretation or hermeneutics, then, then all the more, come to D-groups. Let us help you figure this out. It's easier than you think, I promise. And then our last woke theology is something called Pelagianism. Uh, Pelagianism uh, is an ancient heresy, uh, and it was, uh, uh, it was refuted, um, I believe, in like the 300s. Uh, so really early, right? Uh, but it's still alive and well today. So, fun for us. Uh, the thing just never dies, okay? Uh, and so Pelagianism is something that, uh, that many Christians accidentally believe in. Uh, now I'm going to present it, and it's, uh, again, it's going to sound uh, unintelligible. You're going to hear it and just be like, yeah, that's, uh, that's out. But there is, a, there is an insidious way that this gets in. Pelagianism asserts that the original sin of Adam does not get imputed to us at birth. That original sin, we, we are sinful not because uh, Adam gave us a sin nature, but because Adam, as a broken individual, raised his kids brokenly. Right? Adam broke Cain. And that's why Cain sinned. Right? You broke because your, your parents broke you. And you grew up in a society that is broken. You are good. You actually are good. The task of saving you is not uh, necessarily uh, some kind of spiritual thing. The task of saving you is bringing out that goodness. Let's bring out your goodness. Let's bring out the goodness in, in other people. Let's love the goodness out of them, right? That's Pelagianism. And by, by extension, Pelagianism actually asserts that there is salvation without divine intervention. And this theology creeps in and it brings with it all of Marxism. There is a reason why one of the first things communists have to do when they set up power is get rid of Christianity. There is a reason for that. It's not just coincidence. The reason for that is because Christianity starts in marked contrast to the fact that the sins that ail uh, the society come from the rich. Right? Where Christianity says, no, 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 the sins that ail society come from me and you comes from all of us. That's what ails us. And so Pelagianism uh, obviously brings with it so many of these things. And I, I had a friend who, uh, who uh, was candidating at a church. 
And uh, in, in the sermon, he, he got to the very end, and uh, he was one of the final candidates. They asked him to preach, and in that sermon, he, uh, he actually explained how his baby is just adorable, and he loves his child with all of his heart, right? It's, it's hard to explain how much he loves his kid, uh, but he knows that that kid is broken. That kid has a, has a sin nature, and that sin nature uh, is, is guiding that child to hell. And that child needs Jesus. And at the end, the, the elders came over and they said, like, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't say that. He said, how can, how can you not believe it? Right? How can you say that you need a savior uh, without, the, without the fact that you, uh, we don't need saving? What did Christ die for? If the sin that plagues us was something that was just given to us and we just need to give it back, why did Christ die in the first place? And this, this creeps into the church, and, and the leadership's response to his, his uh, rebuttal was, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of icky, right? It just feels bad to say that kids are broken and, and they deserve hell. It's icky? Like, that, <laughs> like that's, that's the rebuttal, right? But you see how these, these ideas kind of sink into the church, right? Where we are, we are hopelessly and totally broken. So helplessly broken that God, when he saves us, he doesn't just pull us out of the mire, but he actually just recreates us. He invites us into death so that he can then bring us back to life. He doesn't save you as you are, but he saves you after you participate in Christ's death. He gives you another way. So your condition now is that broken. Just consider that. If we are so broken that we can't just be fixed here, what hope is there that we can fix society? So Pelagianism creeps in in these ways, but with it comes all sorts of woke theologies. The irony is, is that if we just understand this concept of sin nature, if we understand that all of us have been broken, and if we understand that if Adam is our father, you too have contributed to the injustices in society. It begs the question, has anyone not been a son of Adam? And the answer is one. There was one that was born of a virgin. There was one that is not the son of Adam. That means there is one that was actually innocent in all of this. You want to talk about injustice, you need not look past the cross, right? Let's look at Romans 5. So Romans 5 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who was a type of him, Jesus, who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like the offense. For if by the offense one man many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by, by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from the one offense, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose out of many offenses resulting in justification. You guys see that? Through one man, everyone dies. 
but through one act of grace, salvation is given back, right? Salvation is offered as long as you come back to this one act of grace, this one Christ, this one salvation. Not many salvations. CRT is not going to save us. Social justice isn't going to save us, right? Woke theology is not going to save us. It is Christ through one man. And like I said, the, the irony of this is that if the church is so concerned about injustice, why are they looking past the cross? There has been only one injustice in our entire history, and that was the cross. A sinless and innocent man has died for our sins. There is only one individual that never contributed to any, uh, any of the social sin. There is one individual that never lied. There is one individual that never betrayed anybody or wronged them or did a wrong to them. There is one person that actually looked and perfected what it is to be human. And we took that person and killed him. There is one innocent party in all of this. You want to look at injustice, focus on the injustice of the cross. Because that injustice allows you to escape justice. This one injustice, this death on the cross, allows us to participate in reconciliation. And that's the whole point of all of this woke theology is reconciliation. How do we fix these injustices? And the question is, when Christ walked into this world, the question that he was asking is, how do I fix you? And the answer was a death on the cross. His work was reconciliation. If your work is reconciliation, if you want to fix injustices, if you're so concerned about reconciliation, then spread the gospel. That's our job. If the church is really focused on injustice, that it should focus uh, in ways that actually help society and not contribute to the spreading of sin. Now, the, uh, Matthew 28 uh, does have a, um, uh, is the Great Commission, if you guys are familiar with the Great Commission. And this is where Jesus, uh, he is now ro- uh, risen from the dead. He's with his disciples. Um, this is... Uh, uh, some have called this the fetal church, right? So Christ is risen from the dead, but the, the disciples don't have the spirit yet. Yeah. So it's like kind of this in between. Uh, and so he's standing on the, uh, um, on the mountain and he's about to ascend. And he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. God has given us a vehicle to fight back against injustice. It's evangelism. The way that we fight back against injustice is not telling all white people that they're racist. That doesn't help. What helps is Christ. The answer is not rioting in the street or burning down cities. The answer is Christ. The answer to all injustice is not the government. Our faith is not in the government. It is in Christ. The things that fix us, we don't need to look at the culture. 
We don't need to look at woke theologies, and we don't need to resolve these theologically and start changing God while we remain unsaved uh, and in our sin. We want to fix the injustices in the world. Spread the gospel. Participate in reconciliation. You say that's your goal. Then do it. Share the gospel with somebody. Help God fix them. That's why the first injustice came. And this is his charge to us to go and make disciples of all nations. This isn't relegated to a people group, right? This extends to all people. And the way that we do that is we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which is what we're going to do today. We want to talk about participating in reconciliation. We're doing it. It's happening right there. And we get to do that because when in baptism, we get to participate in Christ's death. Like I said earlier, we don't get to just be fixed here. We get to die and then resurrect. And that's what we do in baptism. We get to participate in this reconciliation. And it's spreading in our midst today. We get to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But we don't stop there and we teach people to obey the commands of Christ. So the question is, how, how do these things actually practically change? It's the commands of Christ. That's how it changes, right? If you, if you claim Christ, uh, it's not just a uh, um, pray once and you got your hell insurance, right? You're good to go. It's you, you commit to Christ, you dedicate to Christ, and you will always be different moving forward. Imagine a society that was always different, that changed and never went back. Talk about injustice. It's in the gospel. And we teach them that, but only after they can actually obey it, that namely, if they're baptized in the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today we get to actually resolve and reconcile today. If you've never heard the gospel in this way, if you've never heard uh, this concept of injustices and how there has only been one injustice ever, and you need more clarification. Like I said, each one of these points is just massive. If you need clarification, talk to one of us. We'd love to, to, to share the gospel with you and clarify it if it's not clear. And if you, if, if you want to see reconciliation actually happen, stick around. You're, you're going to watch it happen, right? You're going to watch someone participate in death of Christ and his resurrection and reconciliation with God. Is the most beautiful thing that the Christians get to actually witness and participate in and rejoice in. That in communion. Yeah, we should have done communion today. <laughs> Would have been a rock star day. If, if, if we're interested in, in reconciliation, true reconciliation, let's focus on Christ. Let, let's, let's not get distracted by other worldviews. Let's discern spirits and, and hold things up, juxtapose against the gospel. Let's not be afraid of offending other people. The gospel is offensive, but man, it can reconcile them to God. Yes. You have a gift. Let's share. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.